Hello and welcome to the VIP pod. I'm Emma, one of your hosts. In this series, we meet a range of people who are visually impaired. We're hoping to raise awareness of people who've got many different sight conditions, all whilst having a great conversation and having a bit of a laugh too. In this episode, Emma talks to Gareth Davies. Gareth lives in Cardiff and is diagnosed with retinous pigmentosa. As well as working for the RNIB, he is a visually impaired rugby player and tells Emma all about the sport. They also talk about Gareth's diagnosis and his struggle in accepting his eyesight deterioration. Just to let you know, as with all our interviews in this series, it was recorded online remotely, so the sound quality may vary. you've been dealing with lockdown gareth what's been happening uh i've kind of <laughs> like been dealing with it i would say really well I, I would say that i've actually quite enjoyed the experience putting aside all the, the just in my personal life put aside all the horror and the dreadful sort of uh, medical impacts it's had on sort of people across the world yeah. but just in a day-to-day basis in my life i've actually enjoyed the the opportunity just to press pause on life really and enjoy the stillness mm. and the quiet are you out in the country gareth i live in cardiff um okay. so i'm kind of in the city but it's, it's you know it doesn't feel like i mean the part i live in doesn't feel like you're in a city if that makes sense um and yeah. it's not very big either so it doesn't feel like you're in a capital city as such have you remained active in your time in lockdown because i guess you're having to track your training at the same time you know before lockdown i sort of i lived a very i do live a very healthy lifestyle if you like it's what sort of keeps makes me happy so i've always done that so when lockdown happened i just because obviously it was, it was quite overwhelming to begin with it's quite scary and just the unknown sort of thing so i just adopted the mindset well i can't control it so i'm going to use it as an opportunity to work to really work on my fitness uh, and my nutrition as well uh, again which is something i'm very interested in and uh, and have been for quite some time so i just used it to really sort of focus on on the the training side so i mean, my best friend lives in glasgow and he owns a gym there and so he's just been doing a lot of live what we call hit sessions which is high intensity interval training which you can do at home you know you don't need a lot of space to do it it's all sort of and you don't need any equipment how old are you how old are you if you don't mind me asking i'm 46 in chronological terms we're about 21 on the inside (laughs) and about 10 in my head (laughs) (laughs) and when did you first start playing rugby when i was in school so well you know so that sort of transition from primary school to secondary school so around about there it's about 11 Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, I'm I'm not a rugby kind of person. Tell you the truth. <laughs> you've met me. All of you have met it's me. I'm not that it's never, rugby. It's never too late. <laughs> I know. I know. But please explain a little bit about how rugby works and how the difference is by playing blind rugby. The biggest difference is that there's no tackling. There's no co- what we would call contact. Purely because when you've got you because you can't see someone coming at you to tackle you so in a normal rugby game you kind of know someone's going to hit you You kind of brace yourself a bit at which then reduces the risk of injury Mm, um so if someone's just smashing you know say you're walking you just if you're walking down the street and someone just comes and takes you out the shock and the your body's not braced for it so you can hurt yourself so that's the only difference really um we also play it as a sevens format seven aside 
um, which is also played in mainstream rugby. So really, the only difference is it's sevens and there's no tackling. Um, everything else within visually impaired rugby is exactly the same, which is exactly what we wanted to design when the game was created a few years ago. Mm. Because there's a lot of sort of sports that are designed for disabled people that are so far removed from the actual original concept that they don't feel like the original game. Um, mm. And do you know what it is, you know, because we're all visually impaired here, but sometimes you just want to be, a, you don't want to be doing something that's a disability thing, really. You just want to be, you know, normal, just using that term. And that's what, the, for me anyway, and I know the other guys who play around the UK feel very much the same, is that that's the beauty of it, that when you're playing visually impaired rugby, you're playing rugby, you know, um, and you actually feel like you're playing rugby. So it's that. It's probably the only time in your day-to-day life where you don't feel visually impaired. You feel like you play you're rugby, playing rugby that feels pretty much the same as it did 20, 30 years ago, whenever you started, you know, because one of the guys who came up the sport is visually impaired himself. And that was a big thing for him was that I, I want it to be as close to you know mainstream rugby as possible. And so, yeah, it was only developed about three years ago, three, four years ago. And that was the driver behind it. And that's what makes it, I, I think, you know, a, a wonderful game. Is it dangerous then? Well, it's obviously designed to uh, limit the the risks. But if you've got fourteen sort of guys running around at speed, you get the, you get collisions. But it, it's certainly not as dangerous as as mainstream rugby because you're just not having those those big tackles. But it's just like you run around playing you know visually impaired football. There's that risk because you just run into somebody. That's that's and that's just life, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's just what happens in life. I know. I uh, I was concussed fell off a horse as a child exactly yeah yeah there's, <laughs> there's a risk in everything <laughs> well, horse riding is particularly dangerous but also that, <laughs> that, that, that element of risk as well is also part of the excitement of it yeah which sounds a bit strange but you know you, the adrenaline and all that kind of you know and you want to you want to work as hard as you can when you're playing so you're just really pushing yourself did you start as a rugby player at uni or when did your rugby um, well really start? in secondary school when when I started and that's I, I didn't have any diagnosed eye condition then and I you know I played all the way through that the youth structures and I was like I, I captained my county and um for a few seasons uh, under 18s and under okay. 21s level that that was Oxford yeah, um, so uh-huh. I, lived, I lived in grew up in England. Then went on to university, and I was playing there. And that was it was about around right about that time that um, I got diagnosed with retina pigmentosa because mm-hmm. my my older brother failed or didn't couldn't pass his driving test because he couldn't read the number plate. Uh, and then we, he went for some tests, and that's when they picked up that he had RP. And because it's a very often a genetic thing, we we all got tested, and myself and my other so all three brothers got diagnosed with retina pigmentosa around twenty one ish when I was twenty one. So I carried on playing but I was struggling a bit with training because uh-huh. you know it's, it's a winter sport so a lot of the training is at night under floodlights and so I was starting to notice I couldn't really I would drop the ball a bit more or, or you know that kind of thing within visually impaired rugby there's mm. we we have to rely a lot more on communication a verbal communication okay. um uh-huh. so we're constantly sort of telling because and, and again this is what I love about it is that we all know that we've got sight problems 
So there's, if you drop a ball or you knock it on, it's not, you know, everyone knows, we all do that. So there's just more communication, I would say. We're more conscious of it because there's a lot of communication in rugby and, and football and, and any team sport. It must be so nice to be able to play part of a team, I guess, isn't it? I guess that, like when you said, you have sort of some highs and lows in your life, but like to, to be part of a team and such a such a high level now... It just must be so good for you. It is. That's at the core of wanting to play rugby is being part of a mm. team. When I started, after I was diagnosed with sight loss about five years ago, kind of shortly afterwards, I started looking for team sports to be part of. And there wasn't really anything around. Um, so I got in touch with Disability Wales um, and the sports that they came up or were on offer at that time were very much individual sports. Um, mm. So I did a lot of like indoor rowing was one that I did. And that was okay, but it was a. It didn't have that camaraderie to it, which you get mm. in rugby and team sports and football, I imagine. So, yeah, it's absolutely. Um, that's what it's all about for me. I love the physical side of it. I love the sport side of it, but just to be connected with a group um, of people um, from all different walks of life and stuff is what's special about and there is something different about rugby in terms of like the banter and the, the camaraderie it's it's on the next level to, to other sports that I've played and so that is just that was what was missing in my life until I rediscovered rugby uh, yeah. so it, that's like just rediscovering like a alchemy sort of you know you're rediscovering that golden thing that, that's been sort of missing yeah. in your life so that, and that's why we're so keen to develop the game and get it out across the world so other people yeah. experience that feeling uh, when we went to japan uh i think there was about eight to nine players against about funding you could, there was that was dictated how many people we could take with the card there's a lot more people play it so i think with the, the guys in harlequins they're getting about sort of 12 15 players um in cardiff is probably about a similar number could you explain to me a little bit, Match? Because obviously I, I'm partially sighted, but I have different mm. vision to other people. Could you explain a little bit, Match, how you can see if you're on a rugby pitch? How much can you actually see in your vision? Okay, yeah, good question. Um, so I've only got around 10% vision left in one eye. Everything okay. else, including my other eye, is just very cloudy and blurry, which is okay. in line with the condition. Your, your peripheral vision shrinks as well. So I've been left with two, like looking out of a toilet roll is the way that lots of people describe it. So I just rely on that. Um, that's, it's, it's hard to explain, really. Um, so what we also do is that we'll position ourselves. On, so I would tend to play on the right-hand side of the pitch. Uh-huh, yeah. So that bit of my left eye is maximised. Um, yeah. Whereas if I was playing on the left-hand side, I would I'd struggle to do as well as I could. Which will make it all easier. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Pitch, which is great. Yeah. Again, at Cardiff, you've got a few, a couple of the guys are guide dog owners. Uh-huh. So they, they, they come along and their dogs are either in the clubhouse or on the, you know, someone's looking after them on the side of the pitch. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, some, some guys with diabetic retinopathy, RP, I think Stargarts. And there's one or two conditions that I've met. I, I've not heard of before, you know, which is um, quite common within sight loss. There's some real niche uh, conditions. Mm. Uh, and amongst that, people have got varying levels of sight remaining. So it's, it's a real nice sort of cross-section of sight loss, really. And so what's been the hardest thing for you in your sight loss journey? Um, accepting it, I would say. Okay. That's something I kind of 
struggled with for several years, which had yeah. quite a detrimental effect on my life in general, because I was, you know, I'm only speaking about myself now, so I don't wish to offend anybody. Um, yeah. But I was just feeling sorry for myself, like, oh, you know, it's not fair, all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it just made me very unhappy, sort of depressed and I suppose quite difficult to live with at times as well. So I was quite angry about it as well. That, you know, I felt it was very unjust that this has happened to me and all that kind of stuff, which is which which I now know is quite common in terms of yeah. that sort of cycle of adjustment to it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, but so the, so the difficult part was accepting that it, it is what it is and then, you know, turning that into a positive kind of thing. So, um so that was the hardest part. And I suppose as part of that as well is that I kept trying not to be blind, if that makes sense, by getting myself into silly situations in terms of the darkness and not asking for help when really I should do, you know, because of the pride and all that ridiculous mm. male stuff in particular, I think, you know, yeah. um, you've got to keep going and all that nonsense. Where, whereas once I accepted it, everything it was like a domino getting knocked over into a real positive one. But yeah, everything started to click into place a bit then. But that took a few, several years to happen. Did you say there was a really low point in your time? Did you say you split up with a partner? So yeah, that was about three years ago that my kind of marriage came to an end, which hadn't mm-hmm. been particularly happy for some years. You know, from both parties, and I do think my sight loss probably, you know, did affect that. Perhaps that just speeded things mm. up, really. So I don't, that's actually turned out to be quite a good thing. So all of a sudden, I found myself living by myself in a new place. So all of us, yeah, all of a sudden, I was like living independently for the first time um, with sight yeah. loss. And so, yeah, it, it was, it was such. It could be like one of those sitcoms you see, like you know, single man turns up with a couple of bin bags clothes <laughs> and a guy and a guide dog like you know Whoa. so i had a guide dog at the time but yeah oh. you know it's um that was a tough time um you know what it was the best thing that ever happened as well mm-hmm. as has transpired you know i wasn't happy she wasn't happy and um that was the, the i suppose that was about the time that i thought right i've got to sort myself out and start dealing with the the psychological elements of losing my sight and that's where mm-hmm. I actually, because I went to a counsellor because I was, you know, just not for sight loss, but that came up. Um, and he actually spoke to me about the, the cycle of um, like the bereavement cycle, mm-hmm. which which matched that, uh, which I think is used in sight loss counselling. I'm not entirely sure. But that mm-hmm. way you, you go through all those emotions of unjustness and mm-hmm. anger. And all, but and then he, he mentioned, you know, the acceptance stage. And it was like, flipping it, yeah. You know, um, and that was, that was a bit of a penny dropping moment, really. And that's, again, around about the time that I started just to accept it and start moving on in my life. What are you doing at the moment then, Gareth, at the RN? IB. in the process of a new sort of job role but um okay, cool. it's like a strategic manager's job in what we call the development and strategy department um okay. so kind of like looking at how we sort of position ourselves a bit better in different areas of of society so like around there's a lot of, you know a lot we did a lot of stuff with the supermarkets so i mean it's all up in the air over lockdown because mm. we've had to react to a lot of stuff so the last few months i've been doing a lot of stuff around supermarkets and getting the um the, the slots opened up for blind and partially sighted people so have you always worked then tell me about your job history because i mean being blind and has that affected you in your work okay yeah in terms of career options Mm. from you know graduate yeah it obviously had an impact because i would have i don't know probably gone into some sort of like the police or the military kind of thing Mm -hmm. um yeah 
me and a couple of my best mates were going to do that and, and they did and so I'm sure I would have gone down that path but whether I'd still yeah. be doing it now I don't know obviously so I spent the, the majority of my career working in social services a lot of that working with young offenders within a youth offending team and then other sort of departments working with um, at-risk families and children so I was a, a manager for that in Cardiff uh, up until four years ago when I joined RNIB because that kind of coincided with my sight loss around about you know give or take 18 months or a year two years and then I thought oh you know because that's got a shelf life that kind of work yeah. it's quite you know you think you've heard it all but then next phone call is something even more horrific you know mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, yeah so I kind of got into RNIB and I like I quite I, you know I, li- I like the organization I like what we do mm-hmm. so yeah so that's how I ended up here have you got a, did you have a guide dog or have you, how do you get around so obviously you can see little bits but how much can you you, you sound you're very capable so just tell mm. us a bit about you going out and about and stuff I'll tell you one thing I would say which I've found with the you're asking about lockdown a minute ago mm. purely for, for me I've never felt so unblind if that makes sense particularly when it was properly locked down because I could go out there's hardly any traffic mm. hardly any people when you got to a supermarket queue, at least queuing up outside because I only go to a really small one not these massive ones like a Tesco's mm. Metro I go to is quite quiet anyway so people were keeping their distance so that it, that kind of like took away a lot of my anxieties around bumping into things or getting run over. But my challenge with all that will come now as we come out of lockdown and start moving around and the, and the weather changes. So it starts getting darker and stuff. That'll be re- mm. That's where I'll be really worried about social distancing. So um, I, I, I just get around. I've got a cane. Uh, I use a symbol cane. But apart from the last few months, I use that whenever I go out generally mm. anywhere. I had a guide dog. It didn't work out really. Um, but I had two. The first one gave up being a guide dog after about six months, which apparently happens occasionally. What, what would you say the best bit of advice you could give to someone who's dealing with their sight loss? Well, um, a couple of things, really. Um, I mean, it's easy for me to say this now because I'm on the way up the other mm. side, but it's that you just have to accept it. Until you accept it, you can't really start to move forward. So that's just, uh, and to seek counselling or support to, to just to sort of like speed up that process. You know, I know it's, it has to happen naturally and everything, but just to yeah. be able to talk to somebody, it kind of does move things along a bit quicker than it would otherwise. And then the other thing I would say is just to ask for help when you need it and not to put your pride in front of anything. And that's something I've become much better at over the years. So, you know, I'll just, if I'm, for example, in London, I'll just ask for help with, you know, on the underground or on the trains, um, yeah. just because it just makes life easier and why, why, why make life hard for ourselves. Yeah. But I think for me, that came with time because before I was trying to soldier on and all the rest of it and to just, you know, why make life hard for yourself? Mm. So those two things I would say that, two key things for me yeah, i've asked advice all the way through like yeah London, well done. it's just one of those things and it's just like i've got no idea where i'm going i just ask the person next to me on the train and i'm like most people are really really helpful though aren't they oh they are yeah and that's, that's one of the, the thing yeah and that's i think again we spoke about some of the really good stuff about losing your sight one thing for me mm. is that it's there i say open my eyes to how kind people are literally across the board you know and this is a bit of a, a bugbear i have that quite often in the press or and social media you only see like the horror the, the bad things that happen and they're, they're one in a million type someone has someone had a go at my guy dog you know well that somebody had a go at my mate's dog and because they're crazy people out there you know there's just one or two nerds but 99.9% of the population are just really kind people and they will help. So that's been a real positive thing. It's, you know, that humanity really is 
alive and well in the UK. Gareth, if you don't mind asking, what what do you feel like what the future holds, and particularly with your sight loss, is it is it is it potential that it might get worse, it might get better? What's the future hold for you? Um, well, with my condition, it's uh, you know it's very possible because it's degenerative, so mm-hmm. you know it could well get um, get worse. But that's out of my control. I can't do anything yeah. about it, so I don't get stressed about that because mm-hmm. I can't control it. If you know, if, if there's something I can control and, and it's not going well, I, you know, then you can get a bit stressed because you could because you're not doing what you should be doing. But there's nothing I can do, so I kind of just enjoy the moment really. And if and when it does get worse, I'll just deal with it then. You know, I think blind and partially sighted people are really resilient um, and real good mm. problem problem solvers. Um, and we always find a way around something. And I, I would just do that. And, um, you know, but uh, and hopefully there's lots of research going on all the time that think there may be a cure for RP. And let's hope there is. Amazing. Uh, if there yeah. isn't, I'll just get on with it. <laughs> this is something I say to my kids all the time, because, again, in our society, we just when we talk of vision, people just think about the physical vision. Whereas I actually think my vision in terms of how I see life is better than people who've got 20-20 physical vision. Mm. Do, you, do, you, do you know what I mean? It's just, yeah, my physical vision isn't great, but my vision about life and how I lead it and how I want to lead it, I think is more positive, more creative and very, you know, much more positive than a lot of people who can see perfectly well. Very positive vibes yeah, coming yeah. out your way. <laughs> <laughs> do you like have, I know, like a a rugby playing mantra or anything that you live by or maybe it's a mindful mi- mantra that that you live by that helps you to get through these times uh, well, well when it's about training and stuff it's like dig mm. deep and carry on that's what i okay. would say <laughs> just dig deep and carry on you know even when you want to give up you just find that little bit you know you never give up you just always that little bit further yeah. and i guess that, that that's just life generally isn't it you just gotta keep going and you know you gotta show, keep showing up every day um, and lean into the tough times is another thing that I say quite often. You know, you just rather than hiding from them, if you just lean into them, you'll just find a, a way through. And most of the time, things aren't as bad as you think they're going to be. Thank you so much for coming on to the VIP pod. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Oh, no problem at all. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for asking me. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Feel free to get in touch with the team by emailing thevippod at gmail.com.